You're listening to Lightbulb by Model United Nations, where we discuss the issues that lie beyond our classrooms. This podcast is brought to you by Hudson County Community College. Today, we have Professor Antonio Acevedo with us. Professor Acevedo has been teaching history at Hudson for the past five years and has been the program coordinator for the past three years. Among other national conferences, he's also a regular presenter at the American Historical Association's National Conference, presenting for three years in a row. He has actively participated in a fellowship program across Europe through the National Endowment for the Humanities and another year-long fellowship at Columbia University. He has also served on several committees and task forces, including the Cultural Affairs Task Force and Task Force to Revise the Liberal Arts General Major. Currently, Professor Acevedo teaches History of Latin America, U.S. History I, and History of Western Civilization I and II, both honors and regular sections. Thank you for being here, Professor. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, Professor, you seem to have devoted a significant part of your life to the knowledge of history. One of the things that has always bewildered me a little is the lack of interest many of my peers have showed towards the subject of history. Where do you feel should the common people find significance or necessity in history? Well, um, unfortunately, over the years, I think history has gotten a bad rap, kind of like a bad reputation among the different disciplines because people tend to associate it a lot with just the memorization of names and dates. And I don't know if you've ever seen the classic image of a kind of boring history professor from this movie from the 80s called Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Mm. Um, And I don't know if you've ever seen it, but uh, there's a professor who's up there just really monotone, going just really slowly through some topic and just grilling people with kind of names and dates. And that's kind of what sometimes the uh, popular, you know, the popular imagination has uh, in in mind when it comes to history, you know, this kind of just repetition, memorization. Uh, and so um, that's unfortunate. That might be why a lot of younger people are a little bit disconnected from it. Um, but the way um, I understand history is it's really a dynamic, uh, you know, story of, of people and cultures and ideas um, and change that has really led up to where we are now. So uh, the there's a f- many, many reasons I think it's really important to understand from the kind of critical thinking skills that it can uh, help people, uh, uh, you know, develop to understanding kind of the broader context of certain um, issues today, uh, to understand how many ideas from the present are rooted in, you know, eras gone by. Um, But I think one of the most important things that I think should interest people in history is the fact that history is not fixed uh, in a certain sense that what I mean by that is um, history is not inevitable. Uh, And um, if you look, a lot of people associate history with a timeline. And a timeline is a really neat way to see history because like this happened and then this happened and this happened, this happened. Well, the problem is that it becomes it appears to uh, you know the observer almost like if we are um, you know this was destined to happen mm-hmm. this was destined to happen that was destined to happen but the truth is in history we you know those of us who are history educators really try to emphasize something called historical contingency mm-hmm. where whatever happened wasn't destined to happen it only happened one of many several possible ways and this uh, could have developed differently, okay? And, um, you know, for instance, let's say World War One or something like that wasn't destined to happen. Uh, really catastrophic issues in history um, weren't destined to happen. They happened for specific historical reasons that could have turned out differently if things had been done differently. There are larger forces that make things likely, um, but we don't like to look at history as being um, destined or inevitable. Um, so uh, what I think is really important is for young people can really understand that history, uh, you know, the future is not fixed either. The future, uh, there's human agency. What decisions that we make now uh, will shape what happens, what will eventually become history. But it hasn't become history yet, and it can turn out one of many possible ways. So um, I think if young people can kind of disassociate history with just kind of names and dates and all that kind of stuff and uh, associate, associate it more with like uh, 
research, with important questions, uh, with um, analysis, with uh, you know understanding the you know not just the who and the when, but the why and the how. Um, I think it can become more compelling to young people. So a little bit of a long answer, but no. Um, so you're basically saying that the necessity of history lies in us understanding the reasons that shaped circumstances in the world, right? And mm-hmm. and people people do sort of tend to see it as as inevitable, I guess, because mm-hmm. they, I guess, perhaps don't understand the reasons, and that's where history plays a part. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Not just understanding what happened, mm-hmm. um, and that's but understanding how and why and at what cost uh, and to whose benefit and to whose detriment um, and how these things shape uh, what's going on today or um, how they are not related to what's going on today. So uh, it's really a dynamic field, you know. Um, One reason that I really like history is because I went into my history program as an undergraduate kind of as a young person thinking that I kind of knew a lot of things or I I thought I had a lot of answers and I left uh, my studies having more questions than I went than I had when I went in so I think a really good education uh, will make you have it will give you more questions than answers Um, and I feel like that really you know helped me with history to become kind of a lifelong learner interesting Mm -hmm. so in your opinion then what kind of social or political elements do you think are at stake with the knowledge of history uh, I think we're, uh, it's all first touch on the social. I think we're in a world where we are um, bombarded with information. I mean, one of the blessings of the world that we live in is that we have all the information in the world at the, our fingertips. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, that's a great thing because that's, you know, information is, is vital. Uh, one of the worst things about today's world is that we have so much information at our fingertips that is n- <laughs> like, sketchy information, mm. not useful information, or disinformation uh, in a certain way. So um, I think that uh, it's really important for the individual to make, uh, to make sense of images you see, of slogans you see, of, or slogans you hear, of um, ideology. Uh, every single day, you know, when you open up your phone, when you turn on the TV, you're being sold something, um, whether you know it's by a person or a commercial or anything, and this, uh, it's there's so much information that if you don't think about it really hard, it'll be very easy to have someone else doing the thinking for you. Mm. Um, and I think with history, uh, it's you know when you really look at people's um, motives through time, when you look at what's uh, what kind of large scale factors uh, or immediate events, you know, shaped. Uh, why certain things developed the way they did, when you can really look at things dynamically, uh, you're going to start asking a lot of questions. Okay, Mm -hmm. so uh, when you're being sold something, when you're being told something, when you're being told how to vote, how to think, uh, what to buy, where to live, the hope is a history degree can help you really um, ask questions about mm-hmm. that information. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not. I don't mean to. You know, it's the aim of history to produce a bunch of people who are just you know cynical about everything. But I think having a really healthy skepticism mm-hmm. um, is really important. Um, and this, especially, you know, you asked about politics. When we look at uh, world leaders in history, it's really easy at the time to just see them as you know destined to be there. The things that they're telling the people are really going to sway them to move one way politically. But when you can look back historically, you can see the larger motivations. You can see how things played out. Um, and that really gets you to think really hard about what it is that leaders say. Um, so hopefully, uh, politically, if somebody you know, has really studied the past, they'll be able to um, you know, make sense of the messages uh, that they hear now. And sometimes when you see the way Let's say, let's say look, it's something like propaganda. You see the way propaganda's worked in the past and the way it's shaped the, you know, the mass consciousness. That can really help you uh, be more critically aware of it going forward. Um, some people like to say that the history repeats itself. History is like uh, you know, cyclical. Um, most historians, we don't actually believe that. We don't believe mm-hmm. history repeats itself at all because uh, that makes it seem predetermined. Um, but we do think that um, sometimes there are patterns that happen over time and that if something worked once, somebody might see if it'll work again. Um, and so we don't think it's 
predestined to repeat itself. Every moment in history has its own unique character. But we do think that you can uh, study the past. You can recognize patterns of change. You can recognize, uh, you know, types of approaches that politicians or uh, businesses or your neighbors or whoever, um, mm. uh, how they approach things. So, yeah, I think history is is really critical. Also, um, a lot of times when you're presented something today, let's say there's a conflict in the world, mm. and you're gonna be, it's gonna be presented to you as a certain paradigm, like this is how it's always existed. Mm -hmm. And the important part about history is you can actually be able to tell yourself, actually, that's not true. It hasn't always existed this way. This is a really modern thing. This isn't really an ancient thing. Actually, history disagrees with what people are saying right now. Um, and so um, I think that's, uh, that's some, well, another reason why socially, politically, it's really important to have a sense of the past. Otherwise, it's like you just woke up uh, like today with <laughs> without a memory from like a deep sleep or something. You mentioned um, the idea that, you know, if you're not exposed to the true history, then you're exposed to disinformation, mm -hmm. as you said it. Um, so can you explain the significance of disinformation in society currently? Do you feel that it's playing a big role in shaping us? Well, um, yes, uh, in certain ways. And I don't mean to, uh, to make it seem like there's one true history. Um, and I don't want to sound like history is relative either. The thing is, uh, history is really um, about interpreting evidence. And so sometimes there are different interpretations of evidence. Um, for instance, I'm reading... Uh, I'm teaching a course in the fall on Latin American history, so I'm reading a lot right now about, uh, you know, what historically have been some barriers uh, to the development of democracy mm. and, um, you know, uh, economic development in uh, parts of Latin America. And so there have been different explanations that historians have had over time. And it's because at different times they've, you know, interpreted the evidence a little bit uh, differently. Um, so uh, there's not one just true history. There's not one grand narrative. What we want to do is come up with a really good explanation of the past that is, uh, you know, based on really solid interpretation of evidence. Um, but history, unfortunately, is fragmentary. It's not we don't know everything that ever happened. So as we what learn, do you mean fragmentary? Uh, you, we can't know everything that happened. We don't know, like, all the facts that ever mm. happened. Um, you know, if you have, so for instance, we don't know every single thing that happened in a certain year. Oh, um, right. And we have to work on evidence. And the evidence can only tell us so much. Um, so again, I'm not saying at all that history is relative, but um, it's really important for the historian to be a critical thinker, to be able to look at evidence, to see what it says, to corroborate it with outside evidence, to see what it doesn't say. And then we can put together a really good picture of what happened. Uh, in the past. Um, but that being said, so while I'm not saying there's just one version of history, because there are different types of historians, you know, mm -hmm. there's histor economic historians, env environmental historians, social historians, cultural historians, economic historians, and some of them all have, and many more, and some mm -hmm. they have different approaches. Um, but the uh, history, what, you know, in any of its forms, I think it's going to really help you uh, understand uh, how information works, um, how information is uh, sometimes limited, how, uh, you know, information can tell us a lot or it can tell us a little. Um, and an example, um, I guess, that I would give you is um, a lot of time, like since 9-11, especially, there's been a lot of, um, you know, there was a lot of rhetoric, especially right after, there was a lot of rhetoric in parts of the world and even in the U.S. of like kind of like a us versus them you know mm -hmm. some people um even before 9-11 in the 90s talked about like a clash of civilizations mm -hmm. between different parts of the world um and some people almost get this idea that you know it's always you know these different civilizations around the world are just mortal enemies and mm -hmm. they've always had kind of this conflict uh, based on customs and values and beliefs and they'll never be able to uh, reconcile these and it's almost presented as like dualistic like uh, I don't know us versus them othering good versus evil west versus east mm -hmm. like all these uh, and the truth is if you look through history you can say that that's actually a lot of that is nonsense um, there's been many periods of uh, 
coexistence. There's been many uh, periods of dynamic uh, interrelation, uh, you know, exchanges. There's been uh, moments where there has been conflict. There's been periods within a culture where there's been a lot of uh, conflict or, you know, so the truth is history is really complex. Um, it's not as simple as, you know, the narratives that you get mm -hmm. today a lot. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think when you have a knowledge of history, you'll be able to have this, uh, be able to have a healthy critique of what you hear uh, on, whether it's on TV or even, or from your professors or mm -hmm. from your friends or uh, you can be, it's basically like having a more informed conversation. Uh, so I think, yeah, it's, um, what I mean by disinformation is there's, uh, and I don't know if that's the right term, but there's just, uh, you know, like like I said before, one benefit of um, having access to you know the internet and living in this kind of information age is that we can get information that would have taken somebody forever to right. get yet you know a long time ago right. with great ease. Uh, but sometimes we have like this appeal to authority, and we think, well, it's online, so it must be true, yeah. um, or it's I read it online, mm. and it's. Yeah, that's uh, a really, really concerning, you know, mm -hmm. and in the especially the rate of like information changing. Um, you, I mean, increasingly, I kind of get the sense that people don't read articles; they just read headlines. Mm -hmm. You know, people, you know, so you've ever had this conversation yeah. where someone's like, "Oh, this happened." You say, "Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I saw it on the news." Well, and then you ask them more about it. It's like, "Well, I didn't read the article; I just saw it." <laughs> <laughs> so stuff like that, and not that that's disinformation, but uh, maybe taking information, I don't know if it's taking information for granted or just, uh, you know, kind of it's, it's there, so it must be true. And mm. um, it, it becomes a little bit of a, you know, like a caricature mm. almost. Uh, it becomes very predictable. For instance, something happened, I don't remember what it was, a couple months ago. And uh, I said, you know what, I would bet money that if I go to one news site, it's going to be explained this way mm. and I would bet money that if I went to the other news site it's going to be explained that way and uh, sure enough I went <laughs> and uh, and I went to each site and it was almost exactly mm. the way that I you know pictured it in my head um, but if you're not thinking critically th th in these ways about information then you just take it for granted you take it almost like a scripture uh, you know when right. you when you see something you go okay I guess, yeah, I guess in a way it's, it's exploitation, right? Um, if, if I'm a, a major news company and I can see that people are attracted to a headline that reads like this, yeah. you know, th that is going to be the motivator of me publishing that headline, yeah. you well, know, and noticing that people don't really like reading much, so let's just give them this headline that might attract them and sort of be filled with disinformation, right? Well, um, I, that might, I'd say that might be a little too cynis, uh, you know, cynical. I don't know if they're that, it's that, you know, mm. they're that sinister. There's definitely like clickbait, you know, right. where, um, you know, and <laughs> there's some times where everything is uh, breaking news and mm. everything is like, uh, so, you know, there's definitely, um, I think there are elements of that, you know, especially if the, the motive is mm. to sell advertising. Right. You might not always give people what's uh, which information is uh, the most. I mean, I had a colleague once talk about the difference between uh, getting, you know, having what tastes good and what's good mm. for you. You know, mm. um, and sometimes on you know, if you see a certain headline, it's like, oh, this is really interesting, but is it really that important? Uh, you know, so I think you can get some of that, but, and I also don't want to, um, there's kind of an assault on the media right. in some way where um, if it, if they don't agree with what I say, mm. then they're not legitimate. Mm. Um, but there are really uh, good, um, you know, news people mm. still that, you know, um, that, that really do try to present uh, really important information uh, to the public. I mean, it's really important to have a free press. Uh, but uh, so I don't I don't I don't know if it's like purposely exploitation, but I think part of that yeah can exist. Then, then what do you feel is to blame? I mean, it. Um, wh what do you feel in a sense that is to blame for people's lack of exposure, or I guess lack of exposure to information? Do you feel that it is due to the lack of exposure, or is it la uh, due to the their lack of will to under you know want want information? 
Um, I don't think there's any lack of exposure to information. If anything, I think mm. well, there's like too much information almost. Mm. Um, I think that it's really important for, uh, I think maybe, uh, I don't know what, what where exactly uh, the fault lies, you mm. know. Um, I don't know if any one person, organization, mm. uh, one kind of uh, st- structure of society is to blame. And, you know, I don't, I also don't want to make it seem like society is just full of a bunch of people that aren't thinking uh, critically, you know, because right. uh, many people are. But I think that, um, you know, this kind of change with the Internet in the world historical terms is developed very rapidly. Mm. Um, I mean, 10 years ago, even people were barely figuring out smartphones. And now it's almost like an appendage that people can't live without, you know. And so we've been in this moment that has really been a rapid uh, technological uh, kind of, uh, it's almost been like a dam burst of new technologies and devices and all this kind of stuff that we rely on. Uh, And I think that it's happened so quickly that, you know, there's so much been thrown at us that, you know, we haven't slowed down enough to mm. really think, uh, hey, um, you know, like when you when you get an app and it's for free or something like right. that, and you're not really thinking about why is it for free, uh, you know, or when you're, uh, you know, when you Google something, you're not really thinking about why you happen to get the results that you get or something like that, you know. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, so I, I don't know. Maybe it might just be the the, the rapid pace of of, of, of change in, in, right. in information. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of people that you know, like are um, trying to kind of stay woke <laughs> on, on on this kind of stuff. <laughs> and um, you know, I don't know. I'll ask not to turn the interview right. around. But did you have any um, training, like in school or anything like that, on? social media, um, how to use it, uh, you know, because when I was in college, all this stuff was just coming out, right. um, and a lot of us were like kind of learning on the fly. Mm. Um, news wasn't really a part of Facebook or anything like that, but then within a few years, it's all there, and you kind of, it just seems like natural, you know? But no, I mean, no, absolutely not. I was just clicking clickbaits, you know, here and there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, as as I sort of grew up and I realized that when I was exposed to social media, you identify that information, as you said, right, is given in a different way at, 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 in this news website and then it is on this news website, right? You see that, okay, there are ideologies and social behaviors or I guess cultural behaviors that are sort of you know, behind that information that sort of influenced people to um, write it in different manners, you know, focus on different aspects yeah. of the same story. Well, if you, um, along those lines, there's this, um, I recently saw this interview that, uh, you know, President uh, Barack Obama did with uh, David Letterman mm. on Netflix. They're having a really good conversation about the way that, uh, the dangerous part about, uh, I mean, the, there's a million things I could tell you that are the great parts about the internet, you know, and, and about social media, um, especially, like I said before, with having access to really important information that w- before would have been really hard to obtain. But one of the more kind of precarious parts, I guess, of it is that um, a lot of times your your devices or um you know, the trail that you leave of, uh, you know, internet searches and all this kind of stuff, it's returning results that can increasingly make you believe more of what you already believe. Mm. And it's really interesting because we live in a world of increasing interconnection. Mm. Like, you know, you could buy something from across the world really quick. You could talk to a friend or a family member anywhere, uh, you know, at the, you know, with a very quick dial, Um, you know, like there are, it's, we live in an increasingly interconnected world, but also there's this kind of thing that's happening at the same time where, at least in the U.S., where people are, their world is getting mm-hmm. kind of smaller because, um, you know, your Google results might return, um, have, might have results based on what sites you already visit. Um, your uh, news 
uh, sources are going to almost reinforce what you already believe. Um, so even we live in this really dynamic world of exchange and interconnections. It's almost like pe what people believe is almost is increasingly being reinforced and reinforced and reinforced and reinforced mm -hmm. uh, because this information that we get is almost we're getting the information mm -hmm. that it's it's perceived that we want to receive, and so. Um, so yeah, there's this kind of, um, and I think that's one reason why you see so much like, so much like polarity, I guess, mm. uh, in society. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, in a way, I see this like as as a trend that has been going on for ages, um, even even without the invention of internet, mm -hmm. right? People did want to be surrounded with people that with with similar mindsets. Um, you know, I mean, you would know better, um, as in. Um, if 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 I believe that I want to live in a society that believes in this specific way, I would make sure that I live around that part of the world or that part of my city. Um, do you do you feel like it's it's the same? You know, I'm being exposed to neighbors that are, you know, have the same ideologies, the same mindset as I do. Right. And then on the Internet, now that the Internet is invented, I want to be exposed to the same information that I already believe in. So do you feel like this is yeah. just some trend that we have always been on, or do you feel this is new? Uh, I'd say kind of yes and no. Um, there's always been, you know, people that will really get um, kind of sucked into whatever cocoon they already live in, and we all have, like, our own communities. And um, for a lot of people, historically, there's, you know, uh, they've often liked to be around people that are like them or you know in the American history there's been a lot of different eras of like nativism mm. and uh, whoever the other is has changed mm. over time you know uh, whether it was you know you can name any number of right. group uh, at a certain point might have been uh, the other um, so there's always been this kind of thing but um, what people thought especially after the Cold War, um, they saw an increasingly globalized world, an inc mm. a world of uh, increasing movements of peoples within, uh, across uh, borders and across, um, I mean, a world that at least was not supposed to be divided by ideology as much mm. anymore. And then with the advent of the internet, the world is almost supposed to be increasingly uh, interconnected, you know, and uh, I'm happy because I live in a, um, a diverse city you know mm. we live in a really diverse area so we see different people um, around us all the time but even there you if you're if you're almost just taking all your cues uh, or not all of them but taking many of your cues from your phone or from your computer mm. and they're telling they're it, it's, it's basically reinforcing what you already believe it's just kind of this so i think it's this weird uh dichotomy mm. we are increasingly around all kinds of different types of people, and yet we might just believe more and more and more what we already believe. So I don't know, I think in ways it's always been there, but um, mm. I don't know if it just seems a little pronounced to me. Mm. Um, but anyways, this is all why I think studying history is important, because, uh, or really any of the humanities, because um, a lot of times today we just focus on what skills can you get for from college mm. and what skills can you apply to your job, and I think some of that is important, but um, I just read an article yesterday that a colleague gave me that really emphasized the importance about just thinking about stuff, mm. you know? So that's, the result is gonna hopefully make you a more thoughtful participant in society, but mm. it's, it's just, here's this stuff, think really hard about it, mm. you know? Um, not necessarily memorize it or this or that. Um, so I think that's what history and sociology and literature and the arts and yeah. these can all really benefit students. This, this is what I was um, about to get into as well. If, if you see that people don't seem to be interested in the study of humanities, right, um, or the idea of thinking very critically about something, mm -hmm. do you feel that there's a social order of the world that is to blame? Um, if people are, uh, let's see, let me see if I understand the question. Is there a um, I think sometimes, well, what this article I, I just read mm. was kind of talking about is that um, a lot of the 
emphasis on education for, you know, in more recent eras has been on, uh, like, almost on, like, uh, politics and the economy. Right. Like, um, how to make money. How to make money, how to advance, how to uh, have a, uh, a better future uh, economically, you know, um, um, how to get the job that you want. And trust me, as, um, as someone who, you know, studied a, a subject that's not known for, I mean, you can't really just go get a job at the history factory <laughs> right. or, or, or anything like that, you know, or, the, or the new history startup or, <laughs> or you know. Uh, where we sell history online. That's not really how my discipline works. And, you know, so obviously you don't want to, like, go into huge amounts of debt studying something that might not be, uh, you know, really lucrative or something. Right. So I get the need for, uh, also someone who grew up economically disadvantaged, mm. you know, I totally get the need for uh, wanting to have a more stable uh, future or whatever. But at the same time, it's kind of... Um, worked against the uh, humanities when we're just emphasizing to people here's the skill you should have here's the technical training you should have uh, and you know there was a um, uh, one of the politicians in the 2016 presidential elections said hey you know we should have less philosophers and more welders you know mm. and um, listen I totally get that like you can't just um, you know, the point I think there was maybe trying to make was that, you know, you, you don't want a bunch of people with uh, degrees that are not, you know, desired on the job market or anything like that. Mm. But at the same time, I think it was almost like a cheap shot at, um, at the humanities because almost thinking like, you know, don't waste your time with this. Get a useful skill, uh, something that you could make uh, this many dollars an hour with maybe, you know, so... Um, I think that whether it's uh, whether it's um, by political interests or economic interests or whoever else, I think that there. Again, I don't want uh, everything is so multifaceted. I don't know if I want to say these people are to blame, but I think the the idea that you know, let's say an English degree or something like that can't really. Uh, give you the skills that will help you right. in a job. Right, make you enough money as a financial right, analyst. Right, yeah. You know, if that's, then what's the point of, um, what's the point of college? You know, mm -hmm. you can just go uh, get a technical uh, degree if you don't really, I mean, and those aren't bad at all. Um, but I think the thing that I really like about the liberal arts, about humanities, is that you're supposed to think in, like, mm. different ways. And that's really important. Um, so, um you're not you're not supposed to just think that way and this is what i really like about um you know uh, about is even working at a two-year college because we really focus on the first two years of education of course um and in a, in a four-year program right so what is kind of cool here is that a lot of students are taking classes that they don't really want to take um, which uh, the the good thing about that is you know because you know, right. you have to take a requirement or this kind of thing yeah um, it's for my general eds or something like that right. but the good thing is that you have to think in a discipline other than the one that you want to major in mm. so you have to learn how to think like a mathematician even if you hate math mm. um, you know hopefully if the you know uh, or you have to think about uh, you have to think historically even if you hate history um, so hopefully if you're really you know committed to learning you'll learn how to think in all kinds of different ways and this will be important later so that when you are working your way through society you won't just think one way you'll be open to new ideas you'll think twice when you hear this or think tw three times when you hear that um, and uh, you know like let's say um, there might be topics that, I don't know if this has happened to you but there might be topics that come up in your philosophy class your political science class your economics class and your history class and if you can make connections across mm. these different fields mm. and think from different perspectives uh, I think that's kind of a really important thing so right. I think that um, a lot of times when we talk about you know get have this education then get this job we don't really value that part of the education mm. and a lot of times the students kind of like I just got to get this done take all these random classes knock out some requirements right yeah you know, from a historical perspective 
Do you feel that we have always faced some sort of disdain towards the study of humanities in different parts of the world? Do you feel like there's always been some reason to feel disdain towards it? No, I don't think so. Um, you know, it was the, the humanities are really the backbone of the universities for mm. hundreds of years. Um, and I don't really think that will go away. Uh, but I do think that, um, you know, there's more and more pressure on uh, people that study the humanities to show why they're important for like an economic end mm -hmm. or to show uh, how they have some transferable skills or mm -hmm. something like that. Uh, but not just because the humanities themselves are dynamic, the humanities themselves can get you to think in all kinds of interesting ways that actually mm -hmm. will help you uh, mm -hmm. in your life. Um, so I don't think there's always been, and I don't think it's, you know, I don't think the humanities are gonna, you know, disappear mm -hmm. or anything like that. Mm -hmm. The humanities are social sciences. Um, I hope that we can uh, champion them more. Like, uh, for instance, um, I'll just kind of digress a little. There is something, you, you mentioned the program that I did with the National Endowment for the Humanities. So right. um, I had never been to Europe before. This is in the, uh, a couple summers ago, um, actually summer 2015, I think. And uh, the National Endowment for the Humanities gave me this grant where I got to go you know, live in Switzerland and Italy for a month and just really get super deep into uh, the, you know, topic that I was uh, studying. So um, that was uh, like something that really benefited me. It's really benefited my teaching. Um, and, that org so, and that organization um, is always threatened, though, to have its, like, mm. funding cut. Um, and so, so I've even read, you know, politicians basically uh, writing that, hey, you know, this is almost looking at it as kind of a waste of time or something like the NEH. And but why do they feel that is? Um, it depends on really who, um, who, the, who you're talking about. Um, there have been some people that think that like, um, you know, let's for instance, if you study a bunch of different cultures, hmm. there are some people, and that's, you know, some, the NEH, the National Endowment for the Humanities, has a lot of programs like that that expose you to new cultures. Some people will see that as threatening, like why are you studying all these other cultures? Why not just study American culture? Uh, there are some people that think this should only be like, um, you know, private institutions should uh, should do this, not, you know, emphasize the humanities, not uh, they 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 doubt it. They might doubt it serves a public good. I don't know. Uh, I don't really know the reasoning, but right. uh, but that is some way that definitely the humanities are kind of like under assault. Um, but okay, so it's it, it's so when Professor Alvarez was here last time, I I brought up the fact that um, that I have a friend who actually was going into film studies. And then he decided that um, because he won't be able to make enough money through film studies, he's going to go into something else, which is going to make him more money, even though he was interested in that, even though that is still his passion, perhaps. So, and when I brought it up to him, he told me that, you know, um, there are trade-offs in life, and you have to make some trade-off. Mm -hmm. If he felt that that is the decision that he has to make to make himself live better, mm -hmm. then that is it. And um, he said that if... Um, if, if, for instance, uh, if he hadn't made that trade-off, then what you're saying is that somehow society should pay for him to follow his passion, right? Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, uh, I don't think that, uh, I'm not saying that, you know, um, society should like, you right. know, you know yeah. <laughs> subsidize all right. um, people that study the humanities and, mm. uh, you know, uh, in a way that's like, centrally commanded right. or something like that yeah um what i'm what i think about your friend's situation is this I actually um even though i'm a big proponent of the i don't think that he made a bad decision mm. um because you have to do whatever you think is right mm. economically uh socially um in terms of relationships whatever mm. you have to do whatever you think is right mm. for you and i don't think it's you know really the job of um some professor or whoever else to tell you that you're making the right or wrong decision right. um, but I will say this that um, like I when I was 
uh, going to apply to grad school, mm. I asked my uh, mentor, who's my professor, um, if she would write me a letter of recommendation for grad school. And she basically sat me down and said, why do you want to uh, go to grad school? And I had to really give her a really good defense. So she believed I could do it. She was really excited for me. But, you know, you do have to think about uh, the realities of mm. uh, of what you can do with the degree. I mean, um, you do have to think about these things. And if you're really passionate about something, really committed to mm. kind of exploring it in new ways, then I think you should, you know, pursue it. And, um, you know, sometimes markets change. Sometimes things go up and down. So uh, I think you should really do the things that you're passionate about, that you care about. Um, but if you just have an interest in films, you can watch movies, you know. Mm. Or if, if a student is just like, hey, I want to study history. I want to get a master's or a PhD in history. And they say, why? It's like, I really like reading books. <laughs> oh, well, you can just read books, you know. Right. You can have some other Interesting. job. I think you should really pursue it if it's uh, something that you're really committed to, even in spite of uh, whatever market forces mm. there, might, there might be. But do you feel that as a society we have some constraints, unhealthy constraints, that are forcing us to make these trade-offs? Uh, yeah, I, I think um, in a way we tend to let other people decide uh, what's important for us. Mm. Um, you know, um, we, you know, like we might believe one thing, but then we'll let different, um, you know, agents in society, whether it's, uh, whether it's, you know, your teachers or politicians or newspapers or uh, social media or whatever, we'll let, you know, people really kind of shape the things that we believe in and sometimes we might be convinced that oh you know what this thing that I really like maybe that's not worth pursuing mm -hmm. uh, the only sketchy thing about that is you know trends change and uh, you know sometimes um, what society thinks is really the most important thing changes so I think that if you're an individual you kind of have to figure out who you are and what you want to do and at the end of the day what you think will give you the greatest fulfillment and will you know help you shape your community in in the greatest way uh possible um i think that um there's this bob dylan song where he says basically uh everyone wants me to be like them but i want to be more like me mm. basically you know oh, that's um cool. and I think that's the really important part. So whatever it is, if you want to study math or you want to study uh, chemistry, engineering, you, you want to study history, you want to study, um, you know, English, or uh, you want to go into some anything, you know, I think it should be because you are, you know, really are committed to things that you want, and you're not just trying to please uh, someone else. At the same time, there are, like I said, some economic realities mm. sometimes where um, if, uh, you know, if you're looking into home ownership in a mm. super expensive area, mm. it might be <laughs> tough uh, sometimes, right. you know? So uh, I'm not blind to these kind of forces. But, mm. uh, yeah, hopefully if it's something that's personally fulfilling and can, you can make a career at it, then mm. I think it's good. It's, so do you feel that, you know, because of all these things, we have sort of a, a miscalculated view of humanities? Um, I think uh, in, in, in some ways um, we might, uh, but I think that there are, they're going to, you know, I think that they'll continue to be the backbone of universities, and um, I think that uh, people continue to be exposed to the humanities, so... Um, you know, I, I hope that uh, we can find them, you know, more viable over time um, just for their own sake, not just because. Uh, and again, some of this is influenced by and I'm just thinking about this now because I just read an article that my colleague gave me yesterday. Um, uh, but, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't I don't I don't think that, um, you know, there's going to be abolished or anything mm. like that. You have a pretty optimistic view about the humanities. It's it's pretty beautiful, because uh, well, I, I I am a realist too, and I see right. a lot of the writing on the wall. But I just know that there's a lot of people that really care about um, 
about this stuff. You know, at a conference that I was at uh, in January, mm-hmm. there was a really big forum on the future of mm-hmm. the uh, humanities. Um, and actually studying history has, can leave me uh, pretty skeptical. Uh, and sometimes, <laughs> on, depending on the day, I don't know if I'm more of a skeptic or an optimist. Right. Um, but, uh, no, there's organizations and people that, mm. uh, you know, and, like, um, I think it's important also for the people that really lo- are committed to the humanities to be uh, exposed to other ways of thinking, you know? Mm. Um, yeah, so... Well, so, Professor, as we're now wrapping up this episode, the way I usually end these is by trying to get a little insight on the professor's own journey to their passion Mm -hmm. and their career. So uh, you did talk about, uh, you know, some bits here and there, but could you, like, tell us a little about your own path towards academia and the knowledge of history? Yeah, I actually um, always liked history um, ever since I was uh, a kid. and it's a little bit strange. I won't get too much into my own personal history, mm. but my father, who I didn't get to know until much, much later in mm. life, uh, actually has a PhD in history. Wow. Uh, and, but I didn't grow up with him or anything. So you kind of wonder sometimes what's just So you weren't party. aware of it. Uh, I was ca- kind of aware, but I'd never had really any, any interactions. Huh. And then, um, and, and now we have a, a, a really good relationship. But um, somehow it's always been kind of, I don't know if it's just, nature versus nurture if it's hardwired into me or something like that but for some reason I've always cared about it even when I wasn't so good of a student in like junior high school I remember being really upset if I didn't do well in the social studies because it just was always interesting to me but I went into college as a um, economics uh, no I'm sorry a um, communications major I thought about broadcasting or something like that I didn't really know what I wanted to do Uh, it was basically undeclared but and I noticed that the kind of history I was learning in college was really interesting, really dynamic. My professors talked about stuff that made a lot of sense to me. You know, mm. they uh, t- told history from perspective of, you know, people like how I grew up. It wasn't the same kind of history that I, you know, thought about in, in school before, even though that interested me. So um, I just basically caught a fever for history as an undergrad and I started just taking more and more classes and then wow. I switched my major and I thought about uh, teaching in high school but I really realized I wanted to you know work at a college mm. um, so I went straight to grad school why do you want to work at a college um, I think that uh, really diving more deeply into some topics um, mm. you know um, I, I mean, there was a, a bunch of re- reasons. The, the kind of history that I learned in college, mm. I, was, I really liked. I wanted to work with adults, too, you know, mm. um, and uh, which is great here because we have students from, you know, just out of high school to students in their 60s, and I get right. so many different types of people to work with. But mm. um, when I was in grad school, I thought I'd get a master's and a Ph.D., um, but I realized how much I liked the teaching part because I was a graduate teaching associate at the university. And the teaching part really made a lot of sense to me, you know, getting people like especially uh, freshmen, sophomores Mm. to really think in new and interesting ways. Um, I said, so, you know what, I want to focus on teaching at a college. And if you want to focus on teaching, you probably want to work at a community college, uh, Mm. you know. So now I'm interested in not just teaching, but the history of teaching. teaching history too and the philosophy of teaching history so I might do further graduate studies now but um, I actually moved to this area from because I grew up in California mm. um, partly to work in education but partly to pursue music too because I'm a, wow. a musician and that's another huge passion for me but when I uh, you know, obviously got a really good opportunity here and it turned into a more and more long-term thing and you know I was just tenured so um, right. I'm if, if you're a professor, that's really kind of a, an important yeah, threshold, amazing. you know. So, uh, but I, you know, so I actually, it was non-history things that brought me to this area. But um, yeah, I think you know the, I think the way that um, I really believe that uh, thinking about uh, the past, thinking about its impact on the present, mm-hmm. thinking about actually thinking about your thinking. Mm. Um, while you're thinking, <laughs> kind of, uh, <laughs> this is, um, I, I think these are some of the things that are part of history, and it kind of really goes against that image of I'm, what I mentioned at the start of like kind of the 
uh, boring history professor or something right. like that, you know? Yeah. So um, these are all reasons why I'm just really passionate about it. And the thing I also really like about um, education here in Hudson is that I um, grew up in a kind of, uh, you know, single parent household mm. kind of, uh, you know, there's some, you know, economically disadvantaged, mm. you know, um, first generation because like I said I didn't grow up with you know my uh, my father's side so um, in some ways kind of the decks were was stacked against me a little bit Um, and what I really like about here is you know working with a lot of first generation college students a lot of people from underrepresented populations a lot of people who are non-traditional students Um, I mean I just on the way here uh, passed a student who went back to school at 38 um, because he really regretted that he never went to school. His a wife really encouraged him to go to school, just finished his degree here, and has a 100% full-ride scholarship wow. uh, at Rutgers next semester. And this is someone who, you know, a few years ago wasn't even in, in college, uh, you know, completely pursuing something else. <clears throat> but seeing students who really take their education seriously, uh, that's like a life-changing thing, like literally change someone's life. Um, so being part of that is something that I really love about teaching and especially teaching here. So is that like the influence for you to sort of never stray away from your passion for humanities? Um, yeah, I think for history uh, specifically, but I think just for education and more generally mm. that, um, you know, if somebody never went to, uh, no, no one in their family went mm. to college, they grew up in a certain, uh, a really tough situation financially or something mm. like that. Um, again, I'm not just saying you should get an education for the financial part, but if you were not exposed to the kind of thinking that, you know, higher education really asks you to do, if you enter college it could literally change your life it could change the like your family line forever going Mm -hmm. forward in in a certain way um and because so many people here are uh, first generation college students or what have you i think that that makes it especially exciting for me to to work with that kind of uh, population that's fascinating all right professor we'll we'll end the episode right here if you're interested in attending professor acevedo's classes next semester he will be teaching u.s history one History of Latin America, and History of Western Civilization 1 and 2, both honors and regular sections. Thank you so much for being here, Professor. It was really enlightening. I'm, thank, I'm, thank I'm you so, so much glad. for having I'm, me. Yeah, your optimism for humanity is really... Uh, I, I, like I said, it, it kind of depends. Um, I can be very uh, pessimistic, too, and very <laughs> skeptical. And if you ask me, you know... Maybe the right question at the right time, I might give you a very dark look of the United States. But overall, I try to, to see the glass. I try to see the glass as half full, definitely. Thank you. Yeah, no problem.